Welcome to the Faculty Coffee Break Podcast, hosted by the Center for Advancement of Faculty Excellence, or as we like to call it, the CAFE, at St. Francis College in Brooklyn, New York. Rooted in a long history of faculty achievement and commitment to student success at St. Francis, the CAFE promotes research, innovation, and high-quality academic engagement through an evidence-based, equity-minded approach to teaching, learning, and faculty development. My name is Dr. Molly Mann, and I'm the director of the CAFE and host of the Faculty Coffee Break podcast. Today, I'm delighted to share my conversation with Dr. Emily Edwards. Dr. Edwards is an assistant professor of digital humanities and educational technologist at St. Francis. She currently serves as co-director of the grant Digital Humanities Across the Curriculum, funded by the National Endowment for the Humanities. She's also a general editor at Digital Humanities Quarterly. Dr. Edwards' research focuses on the intersection of digital media, technologies, and platforms, and race, gender, and immigration in global contexts. Her work has appeared in journals such as New Media and Society, Critical Studies in Media Communication, and Globalism, Journal of Culture, Politics, and Innovation. So since our, our topic for the season is about student-centered pedagogy, uh, I want to start off by asking you, what, what, it, what does student-centered teaching mean to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So to me, student-centered teaching, it really means that students are able to apply their own interests to the course, um, that they're able to find an entry point into the material, course concepts and skills they're learning, um, because I find that students are more engaged in a course when they're able to connect the course to their own interests, whether those are personal interests or their sort of professional interests um, in some way. And so, for example, in my introduction to digital humanities course, um, of course, we have to learn about traditionally important topics like humanities computing. We have to learn about um, the BUSA index and the start of digital humanities. Um, But I like to create opportunities for students to then take those course concepts that we're learning, such as data visualization or doing some humanities computing, and then apply those skills um, to topics that they're interested in. For example, um, you know, Playboy Cardi's music um, contemporary American hip hop and rap, or maybe that is looking at Marvel movies um, and looking at scripts and looking at, um, you know, how ideologies are present in those scripts and doing sentiment analysis and crushing the numbers there. Um, So for me, it really means that students are able to find that entry point into the material their own way and to create opportunities for them to do that by structuring assignments and final projects to be open for students to choose their own topics. Um, And then this also means um, on kind of a structural level um, to work with students um, and to kind of get their feedback on the syllabus or the way assignments and projects are structured so that if we need to spend more time on a certain topic or if we need to shift things around, that we're able to open that dialogue so that the course works for the students um, to create certain expectations and structure, but to be flexible um, because every class is not going to be the same and every student um, isn't the same either. They have different needs. So to have a collaborative relationship with the class and and to make decisions together when we can. Um, So that's kind of how I've tried to um, apply student-centered pedagogy um, in some of the courses that I've been teaching. That's wonderful. Um, And it sounds like, you know, uh, beyond the the tools of digital projects and digital assignments, there is a there's a pedagogy behind it, and a um, you're talking about you know um, giving students access through their interests and being flexible with them. Is that um, is that a model that you think applies to a wide variety of disciplines? Is that something that can be um, used by faculty who are teaching different different um, different subjects? Absolutely. I think that um, 
you know, taking that approach, I've been really inspired by the work of Rupika Rassam um, and her writings about um, post-colonial digital humanities pedagogy. Um, uh, you know, in her, you know her work, she's really you know emphasized that students should see themselves as knowledge producers, um, and so I think that that can be applied, um, you know, to any course, whether we're in uh, digital humanities, the humanities, social sciences, sciences, um, is that we want to create opportunities for students to to create themselves, to be knowledge producers. Of course, we want students to achieve proficiency in core course concepts, um, but then allow them to test their skills in a way that interests them and to create projects and assignments that allow for them, um, you know, to produce knowledge in their own way. Um, and so her work has been really, um, really interesting to me, you know, coming from this, um, you know, a digital humanities background, but I think her work is really inspiring and in thinking about, you know, we're training students to work in a, in a wide variety of, of jobs and roles in the future. Um, you know, oftentimes we're teaching students who aren't our majors potentially, you know, with our own department. And so creating that openness for students, um, you know, to apply themselves, uh, you know, you know, in a way that interests them, I think that that's really valuable. And I think that that is something that, you know, whatever department you're in, that only makes students more excited, that only makes them more engaged learners. Um, and then, you know, they learn the content of the course better, which is really what we want, um, you know, to create um, an opportunity for them to do. Yeah, I mean, and that sounds really exciting for the students to be able to connect on what they're interested in. It also sounds really exciting for the faculty member. I mean, I had a mentor once tell me that, you know, never give an assignment that you don't want to grade. That's not interesting to you to grade because it's probably boring for your students too. And I'm sure, um, you know, that that's something that incorporating digital projects and, and assignments um, really addresses as a pain point because um, I'm sure your students and your courses have come up with a, a whole range of really interesting projects. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, I definitely, you know, my favorite part of the course is often sort of at the end when students are presenting their own projects or when students are doing um, project reviews instead of a traditional book review, they review a digital humanities project that they're interested in, um, you know, and so that's just one assignment example of where, you know, of course we need to impose um, some type of structure, you know, so students can, you know, can navigate in an effective way, uh, but then students are able to choose a digital humanities project that they're interested in, that they can review. And so instead of, um, you know, everyone reviewing, you know, the same project or, you know, the same book or something like that, um, you know, then we get to see students who are also teaching other students about materials, you know, that they're interested in, that they can present um, their review of the George Floyd, um, uh, you know, street art sort of map, or they can present a review of the Women's Writers Project, um, you know, and sort of educate their peers, as well as me, because, you know, we don't know everything in the world as faculty. So I'm always excited when I can learn from my students when they're able to bring in something and present it to me. So I think that that really creates a more, um, a more exciting, a more collaborative, and a more engaged classroom environment where students can apply their own interests, but they can also share, you know, what they're learning, um, you know, with their instructor and then with their peers as well. That sounds really fascinating. So can you take can you take me into that and tell me more about that assignment? And I, I realize you can't talk about student work specifically um, because that, you know that's their their property. But if you can talk about how you set up that assignment, you know, how you presented it to them and, and maybe just kind of general ideas of what kind of work you you got back from students. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so I think this is a great example of 
taking a really sort of traditional humanities assignment, um, writing a critical review of something, um, and just opening it up for students to apply their own interests. Um, I'm sure, you know, in many classes, professors are assigning uh, book reviews or having students make annotated bibliographies to really critically review a source, look at who created it, um, consider, you know, who the audience is, um, you know, really traditional sort of critical humanistic you know, skills that we want students to achieve. Um, but for this, you know, so I take those, you know, those core sort of um, grading components, you know, that we have to have a summary, we have to discuss, you know, the creator of the project, we have to discuss who the audience is, the materials, the methodology of the project. Um, but then, you know, just simply opening it up for students to go do their own research and find a digital humanities project that they would like to talk about instead of, um, you know, having to review a set of three that I give them, um, that that allows students to do a little bit of their own research and to find something that matches their interests. Um, so then they're able to engage with that digital resource um, you know, whether that is a digital map, whether that's, um, uh, you know, a data visualization, whether that's looking at, you know, global Shakespeare plays, um, there's so many great digital communities projects out there. Um, and then students are able to synthesize their critique, their summary in a traditional written report. Uh, but then I also have students present their review and their critique to the class so that they're able to share their work with their peers um, and with me as their instructor. And students are able to, you know, to talk about their opinion that they're, you know, in the driver's seat, they're the reviewers. And I think that that can be really empowering for students to feel that they're part of a scholarly conversation, um, you know, and to share their thoughts, you know, in a slightly more public way than just turning something in on a learning management system. Um, and so that way, you know, the class also gets exposed to many different digital humanities projects, um, you know, that I can't kind of fit in the context of a semester. Um, and so it's, I think, a great learning experience, you know, for everyone there, again, but still practicing those really traditional humanistic skills that we want students to achieve, um, you know, good writing, reading, assessment, um, and then, you know, the presentation of their argument and their evidence. That's great. And so what, uh, you mentioned that students did their own research to find these projects. Did you give, did you kind of point them in any direction? Did you give them any examples? Um, like, how, how did you help them kind of guide their work in the final product? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one aspect of this is I did curate a pretty big list that students could choose from um, of a lot of digital humanities projects. And uh, definitely some students sort of stuck to that list because they felt comfortable there. Um, but then having those examples, students were able to, uh, you know, to, to go off list, to kind of go off road and find a project, um, you know, that maybe I hadn't found that they might be interested in. Um, and so that was effective that that again, gave them a structure to work within, but then they had some opportunities to kind of, you know, to find something else uh, for themselves. Um, and then one really great resource um, is reviews in digital humanities. And so this is um, uh, instead of, it's an academic journal that does reviews of digital humanities projects um, by scholars, by academics. And so pointing them towards that resource of having them um, look at, we sort of looked at some of those reviews in class to see, okay, this is how long they are. This is how they talk about the funding. This is how they talk about and summarize the project having um, a sort of, you know, a professional scholarly example for students to model their own review after uh, worked really well then because they, um, you know, they had a structure to follow if they were unfamiliar with this assignment. Uh, but then they also felt as though they were communicating within the same scholarly space because they were doing the same thing as other academics and scholars who were submitting to reviews in DH. They were just doing the same thing in the context of our classroom. Uh, but they were sort of centered as 
presenting their own critique, their own review, um, you know, to be digital humanities practitioners themselves who were sort of in conversation with the field. Yeah, that's a, a wonderful model because I, you know, it, it allows students to come in to the project at a variety of different access points. Like some students are, you know, they might not have been exposed to anything like this before. And so they feel much more comfortable sticking to kind of examples that you recommend and, and kind of following the outlines of the of the assignment and other students want to flex their creative muscles a little bit more. But it's wonderful that they all come to the same point of creating a work that is uh, public facing and that they see themselves connecting to a, a world outside of the immediate classroom. So that's very cool. So you talked about, um, you know, connecting with students' interests, and I, I'm wondering about your own interests and how you came into the digital humanities. What led you there? Uh, yeah, so I sort of entered into the space of the digital humanities uh, through my uh, dissertation work. Uh, my focus is on um, tracking far-right digital political movements in Germany and the United States. And I was really interested uh, in looking at these digital communities um, and doing a, um, a critical feminist uh, project. Uh, but I was seeing that, you know, there were other people out there who were using really interesting um, data analytic tools. They were doing data scraping, they were visualizing data, they were doing social network analysis, sentiment analysis, um, that they were, you know, creating these projects that were interactive and really data driven. Um, and so I thought, you know, why can't I do that? I'd like to apply these tools in my own research, um, but in a way that was really aligned to, you know, my research principles as a critical feminist researcher. Uh, and so over the course of that project, um, I uh, became involved in sort of doing more data scraping, data visualization, yeah, utilizing these data analytic tools in my own research to answer my own research questions. Um, which then sort of led me to become involved um, with the FemBot Collective, which is a feminist digital publishing collective, um, working with this group um, to become an interviewer and a co-producer uh, with a podcast, Books Aren't Dead, where we interview um, feminist scholars who are working at the intersections of feminism, gender, new media, technology, and science. And so connecting with some of these scholars who are working in this sort of same space uh, was really inspiring. And that sort of led me, um, you know, to begin this journey as a digital humanities practitioner. Um, then I had the opportunity to do some digital archiving at my previous institution, curating digital exhibitions, doing digitization. Um, and so all of these things sort of, you know, led me to digital humanities, my own sort of research, and then some of these um, different projects that I was working on, doing digital archiving, doing podcasting, um, networking with other feminist scholars, working in the space of um, science, technology, and media. Uh, and then, you know, this all sort of converged um, to, you know, digital humanities was, you know, my scholarly sort of home for the questions that I was asking, um, which has been, you know, it's been a really sort of exciting field to be a part of. Um, and then today I'm sort of ending up um, moving into a new position as general editor of Digital Humanities Quarterly. So um, yeah, so it's been, you know, kind of like an exciting um, convergence of my interests and methodologies. Um, but ultimately, I come to the field of digital humanities, you know, not as this, you know, computer scientist quantitative person, but as a critical feminist interdisciplinary scholar. Um, and so I really want to, you know, to represent and to forward a digital humanities that's open and inclusive to students, faculty, practitioners um, with a wide variety of skills the digital humanities just it isn't just all big data um, and computational techniques that there's a digital humanities for everyone so that's kind of a little bit of my entry point into that space yeah so this i think is a really important um, conversation and question and i think before we sort of start thinking about 
digital assignments or projects. Even before that, it's to step back, not think about the technology, but think about the goals of the course. What are the student learning outcomes? Return to that in the syllabus. What do you want students to be able to do at the end of that course? Um, because I think that that should really fundamentally drive um, what type of digital assignment or what type of digital project we're integrating. Um, because what might fit really well in one course, um, you know, contemporary mass calm, you know, maybe data scraping and something more sophisticated to look at, you know, political conversations on Twitter, maybe that would fit really well in that type of course. Um, but maybe, you know, that doesn't really fit very well um, in public art, maybe we don't need to be doing that. And so I think oftentimes um, that there's a lot of reticence or a lot of emphasis on the technologies and the tools, um, you know, that we get caught up in, um, you know, in, in technology, uh, but it's really about, you know, it's about the students and what they're learning. So I think that that's the first step. If you're a faculty member that's interested in, you know, incorporating one more digital assignment or you want to make, um, uh, you know, an option for a digital project at the end of your course, but you're not sure what that is, go back to those student learning outcomes and identify, well, what do you want students to be able to do? If you want students to be able to, um, you know, compare and contrast different images of, uh, you know, women in the United States, if we're thinking about gender and art, um, you know, maybe we don't have to do data visualization. We don't have to do computational text analysis. Maybe we can just have students build a website and sort of talk about, uh, you know, different images of women in art in a blog. And that's something that's, that's not very, you know, you know, complicated. We don't have to get um, super sophisticated, but that's still a digital project and students still will learn some basic kind of technical skills um, that will be useful for them in whatever career path they're going to. Um, so definitely thinking about just initial projects, um, just as some examples, I think integrating uh, blogs and websites, I think that's a really easy way. Um, integrating podcasting as an alternative assignment, that's also something that requires a really low level of technical acumen that can be incorporated, I think, in a wide variety of courses. Um, and then there's also, uh, you know, there's many uh, different softwares like Omeka to do digital archiving. Um, but I think, you know, it really comes down to what are the goals that you're trying to achieve? What do you want students to be able to learn and do? And that will really guide you, um, hopefully, you know, either, um, you know, with the educational technologist at your institution or your own sort of research and kind of thinking about, okay, I want students to be able to present and critique images visually, or I want students to be able to look at different historical periods and compare and contrast, that those goals should sort of drive the technology that you're picking and thinking about how you structure digital assignments. Uh, because the only difference between digital assignments and digital projects um, is there digital there's some type of technological component um, but still the core of the assignment you know you've already kind of mapped that out as the faculty member it's just a matter of finding what resource kind of matches to what you want students to articulate and achieve yeah and i i love that you are um focusing on the technology as a way to support um support learning in general and you know it's not just about um teaching students to use that particular software or that you know that particular technology um i hear that um kind of collapsed a lot like we need to teach students to use you know x whatever it is um and in reality i mean it, that may be useful for the student when they graduate and they that may be a software or um, you know, a technique that they use in their career, but it also might not, you know, our, our marketplace changes so rapidly that students 
you know, the, the landscape of software will probably be vastly different um, as it was from when I graduated from college to now, you know. Um, but it seems like teaching students to approach uh, a software that or, or a digital technique that they may be unfamiliar with and learning how to use it um, and use it meaningfully is uh, adds another layer of, of learning to, you know, um, to achieve those, those course learning outcomes. Would you, would you say that's fair? I, I mean, is that kind of um, a way that the digital humanities and digital projects can um, enhance learning in, in a variety of courses? Absolutely. I think that, um, and I think this sort of differentiates digital humanities pedagogical um, approaches from, um, from just sort of integrating technology or, you know, data tools in the classroom more broadly, is that um, there needs to be that component of um, critical humanistic inquiry, uh, which really distinguishes the integration of digital projects, digital assignments, um, and technologies into our courses, is that there's that critical humanistic um, sort of component. And so, um, you do, for example, in my course, Introduction to Digital Humanities, um, I don't just want students to be able to do a data visualization and just produce something. I want them to be critical about it. I want them to be data literate and data critical. It's not just about um, the, that technical aspect of, of producing something. It's also about thinking through these technologies meaningfully and thinking about how they enable us to communicate in different ways, how they allow us to present knowledge in different ways. Um, and certainly within digital humanities, how they replicate um, sort of um, historical inequalities as well and thinking about these technologies and historicizing them and placing them in broader context. Um, so I think definitely we want to look at technologies and tools um, as faculty members and really make sure that they're kind of they're matched up to our content and they're matched up to um, our pedagogical and our ethical values that we don't just need to integrate them for the sake of integrating them, that we really want students to think critically about how they're using and engaging with these tools. Uh, because I think that that's ultimately more meaningful um, is that students, as you said, they may forget how to use a particular software, um, but if students really understand what the concept of metadata is and privacy, they're gonna take that knowledge with them as citizens, as consumers, as professionals later on in their life. If we are able to teach them to think critically about technology and data, that they're able to take some of those lessons, even if the, the technical skills may change, um, but those patterns and those modes of thinking, that critical humanistic inquiry, that's applicable you know, across your career, across multiple different contexts. So to me, that's something that's really important um, and that's ultimately more valuable um, you know, in terms of longevity to the students um, if we're educating students students, um, you know, which I think we should as, as whole people. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, I want to um, also kind of make a clear distinction or, or understand a clear distinction that um, when you're talking about digital projects, you're not just talking or not necessarily talking about like online education, right? You, you are, can actually be face-to-face -face with your students in the course and exploring digital tools. Um, I think a lot of faculty got um, felt that they got a crash course in, you know, exploring maybe digital tools that they wouldn't otherwise have um, explored in March of 2020 when everything shut down for COVID and everybody was forced to, to move online with their classes. And, and maybe for some faculty that kind of gave them a bad taste in their mouth about using digital tools and being in a digital environment with students. Um, but do you want to say more about that, about how, um, I guess, the flexibility of digital projects and um, the many uses beyond just being able to connect with students in a variety of locations. 
Absolutely. I think that that's a really great point. Um, and, you know, as you summarized, I think like the, the pivot, you know, in March of 2020 towards, um, you know, towards, you know, class on Zoom or, you know, class on Blackboard, um, on Moodle, on Canvas, you know, that's where your learning environment was. Um, that was, I'm definitely very rough for students and faculty to have to pivot. Um, and I and I do think that, you know, we do want to make a distinction um, that that is those, you know, having class connection, turning in assignments on a learning management system, having an online discussion board, um, that that in and that's not digital humanities necessarily. And that in and of itself is while we're, I think those tools are incredible depending on, you know, what we're trying to achieve, that that, um, you know, that's not necessarily the most sort of productive way to think about um, um, incorporating digital projects and assignments into our courses. Uh, that when I'm talking about digital projects and assignments, it's making use of a variety of tools that can be sort of happening we can introduce um, students to these in a face-to-face -face environment. Um, and so the distinction I would draw is, well, we might be having an online class or we might be engaging with one another in an online environment or in a hybrid environment. Um, that that is, that's a, a sort of a modality of the course that that's not necessarily um, a style of assignment. So digital projects and assignment to me um, as a digital humanities practitioner, what distinguishes them is that students are producing some type of standalone content, whether that is a website, whether that's a podcast, whether that's a video game, a data visualization, a digital exhibition, um, whether that or they're using um, data analytic tools or computational tools to analyze corpuses of data, to analyze images. They're using data analytic tools and computational tools to engage in some type of critical humanistic analysis. So it's either uh, producing something, a standalone digital project, or it is using a particular suite of tools and technologies to engage in critical humanistic inquiry um, that's sort of driven by these data analytic tools. So I would say that's sort of the boundary um, that I think is most helpful to draw when we're thinking about learning modality and online management um, or you know, learning management systems, and then thinking about what are students actually producing? What methodologies are they deploying? So that's kind of the distinction um, that I would draw. And I would also say that often, incorporating digital assignments and projects into our courses, it's usually more effective to introduce students to technologies when you're face-to-face -face with them, um, you know, because you're able to, you know, walk over to their computer, you're able to troubleshoot an error, um, and then even if students are producing digital projects and assignments, presenting them to their peers, to you, um, I think is a really amazing sort of, uh, you know, learning experience for the student and the class. So while digital projects and assignments can be shared with a broader digital audience, they can be uploaded um, to a learning management system, and that's great. Um, I think that that class component is really, really important. Um, absolutely. And so digital projects and assignments, I don't think we don't need to think of them as something that sort of going to supplant traditional pedagogies or traditional ways of learning, um, that there's a place for, you know, traditional sort of in-person student discussions, lecturing, um, there's a place for traditional pedagogies, and then also a place to sort of integrate projects, um, digital projects and assignments as well. Um, and so I don't think we should, you know, that while the introduction, you know, to some of these things wasn't great, that, you know, we shouldn't let that sort of color the way in which we're kind of thinking about how we may incorporate these things in the future.
yeah, I like what you said earlier about just taking one, one assignment and, and mapping it back to your learning outcomes and seeing if there's a way to, to use a digital tool or introduce, you know, a digital project there. Um, you know, I, I think when, sometimes when we hear these things like about, you know, incorporating digital projects or, or different pedagogies, um, that, I think there's a tendency to hear that as like, you need to overhaul your whole syllabus. You have to do everything differently. Um, and what you're talking about is a much more gradual shift toward, um, you know, allowing students to, um, to gain various access points throughout the semester that match their interests and that get them excited about learning um, through using various tools. Absolutely. I think one example is just using a digital annotation software. I know some faculty are using Perusal um, and Hypothesis, and then also Manifold supports collaborative digital annotation. And so that's just one example. That's not reinventing the wheel. You know, in a lot of our classes, we do, you know, close reading of the text. You know, you have students pick out a passage, discuss it in groups or individually or and make notes and just incorporating a digital annotation tool is just, you know, taking something you're probably already doing in your course, but then allowing students to have that functionality of meeting in a digital space of commenting on, you know, each other's questions. Um, and just, as you said, creating more, you know, poor points of entry for students to engage. So there's so many ways, um, you know, that you can sort of think about just adding one aspect into your course and seeing if it works. And if it doesn't work, then going back and trying something else. Great. I really love that. Um, so Emily, this has been a great conversation and there's, there's so much here for faculty to, to really, um, you know, either dip their toe in or really jump into incorporating digital projects. And I, I find that really exciting. And, um, I, I like to think about all of the wonderful student projects that will come of, um, you know, ideas inspired by this conversation. Um, and so I want to ask you, this is something that I'm, I'm asking all of the guests on this podcast. Um, do you want to talk for a minute about your favorite teaching moment and but whether it was a project or a lesson or an experience with, with a student, just, just tell us what your, your highlight of your career so far has been. Yeah, I think for me, definitely the first, uh, my first semester at St. Francis, I had students, um, for their final project, um, put together a lot of different skills that they've been practicing um, to do data scraping themselves and then to do data visualization to produce um, a visualization of uh, a conversation about a cultural text. So they were able to choose anything that they wanted, any cultural text. And so I you know, define cultural text very broadly. It could be a film, a video game, um, a song, a music video, anything. Um, and so I, you know, kept this really open. Uh, and I think just my, the best point of the semester was the last day of class when students were able to, to share with me and with their peers, the beautiful visualizations that they had been working on over the course of the semester. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, just one particular moment, but seeing all of the student projects on such an interesting range of topics from, uh, from Marvel movies, from BTS and Carl Jung, um, all the way to Flowers in the Attic you know, just all of these really, really interesting projects. And every student was able to create a data visualization, um, you know, on their own using, you know, Gephi or using Netlytic. Um, and they were able to situate all of their data visualizations, you know, in this broader cultural context. And so that was just really exciting, uh, you know, to see students take those tools that they've been practicing and, and to see them produce and share something that they had built all their own. Uh, so that was just, you know, a really great way to cap off the end of the semester. That sounds wonderful. So for anybody who's not familiar with the terminology, can you tell us a little bit about 
what data scraping means, what data visualization is. Um, and, I, and I know you can't really show us those projects, but um, can you tell us a little bit about what students were actually doing um, to produce those projects? Absolutely. So data scraping is, it's really just a complicated or fancy way of saying collecting data. Um, and so I'm sure for qualitative people out there, you know, collecting data that's looking through the archives or, you know, looking through whatever, um, you know, interviews, things like that, that that's, that's collecting data in a qualitative way. Data scraping is just automating the collection of, of data using some type of data analytic tool. So that could be using um, a programming language like Python or R to write a script um, so that that will go scrape data from, um, from a website, from a social media platform, from an archive, from a collection, a corpus of historical texts that are digitized online, um, and then collecting that information in one go. So it's essentially just using a data analytic tool um, to collect a lot of data all at once. Uh, and so, yeah, so it may seem, you know, different, but essentially that's, you know, we, we do it qualitatively, we do it quantitatively. It's just, you know, automating that collection of data by using a data analytic tool. Um, and data visualization, again, is just another fancy way of saying visualizing the data that we have in some way. And so that could be very basic. It could be making a chart on Excel of common themes that you found in interviews if you're an ethnographer, um, or it could be using um, uh, data visualization software software like Tableau or Gephi uh, to visualize the data points. And so the data is, of course, unique to you and your, your research. In my case, it's uh, usually users looking at social media conversations, um, uh, looking at um, posts, comments, or users. So those are my kind of data points that then I visualize in some way to show connections between the users or the conversations. Um, but data visualization, it can be, you know, very basic. We can, it can be as simple as drawing a, a pie chart, um, you know, with, with a pen and pencil. So it can go, you know, there's a broad sort of scale of types of data visualization. So it can be with, with these more complicated softwares, or it can just be sort of making data more legible in a visual form in a different way. Uh, the way that my students came into it, that they were scraping data using Netlytic, Communalytic, they were scraping social media data about a cultural conversation, a cultural text. So they would um, uh, choose a theme. For example, um, I demoed The Bachelor. Maybe you're interested in scraping data about The Bachelor, reality television show. So you would look at particular search terms. Um, so students would pick their search terms about their cultural text. Um, input that into Netlytic or Communalytic to automate the data scraping. They would get um, CSV files and they could upload those CSV files into Gephi, which is um, a data visualization software. And then they could visually see who is talking about what in the conversation. So they were able to take a bird's eye view of a cultural conversation. So just really ratcheting it up, you know, in a qualitative way, we could interview people and say, what are your thoughts on The Bachelor? Or if we're using data analytic tools and we wanna get a global digital view of that conversation, then we can scrape that data, put it into Gephi, and we can see what types of themes emerge from a broader conversation about The Bachelor, about gender, about race in America, about um, dating and relationships. And so then students were able to, to latch on to their particular theme of interest um, and then, of course, write a traditional research paper in addition to this data visualization and analysis. That's so wonderful. I mean, it's it's taking things that students are already thinking about and engaged with and allowing them to look at that through a critical lens using these tools. So wonderful. Great. 
Um, and so uh, another question. Um, so what what's a teaching challenge for you? Like what is I think we all have those things that we just bump it up against, you know, over and over and that we're trying to work and rework. So what has been something for you that, you know, you keep kind of going back to? Yeah, I think that this is probably similar um, to many other faculty or instructors. Um, it's always refining um, and communicating my assignments, you know, in a clear way when I'm, especially when I am including um, digital technology or, you know, some type of tool. And so I can remember one assignment I had um, that I thought was really clear. I wanted students to film a TikTok responding to uh, a reading um, to talk about the cultural canon and what perspectives are sort of left out or included in the cultural canon. Um, and I thought, you know, oh, well, this will be easy. We'll have students do a TikTok about this. Um, and of course, um, my instructions weren't as clear as they could have been. And so I was fielding like 800 emails, you know, from people saying, I don't understand this. This isn't working. My, you know, the, this link isn't like uploading to Canvas. You know, and I was like, this assignment is a disaster. This is terrible. Like I, you know, I this assignment was not clear. You know, I could have really reworked this. Um, and it was okay, you know, it ultimately students did produce their TikToks, but it was a learning experience for me to kind of go back and think about, um, you know, how I'm sort of formulating my assignments, especially in a hybrid course modality where there's less face-to-face -face time. How do I translate my instructions and how do I translate some of my materials that I've used in, uh, you know, just pure face-to-face -face courses um, to adapt them to a hybrid course modality so students um, get the information and the instructions that they need. So I think that, um, you know, just clarity, thinking about how we structure our assignments, and then also thinking about transitioning to different modalities, is definitely something that I'm, you know, working through now and something I'll be thinking about in the future, especially as, um, you know, the landscape of higher ed for sure is changing. And we're kind of thinking about new ways to connect with students that aren't just the traditional sort of, you know, two, three week meeting in the classroom, but ways to connect with students and to run our courses in ways that are more hybrid. So that's something that's on my mind right now. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that, um, especially when you're talking about um, trying out some new assignments, you know, um, trying out some creative projects, some some digital projects. You know, the question is, how do you how do you communicate that clearly to students and how do you support students as they are um, approaching, you know, building new skills and new knowledge um, in, in a way that uh, really sets them up for success? So, yeah. I, I, I definitely hear that. Great. Well, thank you, Emily, so much. This has been such a wonderful conversation. You are such a wealth of really wonderful information. And, and um, uh, I, I know St. Francis faculty are so lucky to have you as the educational technologist and a resource for them as they explore um, more digital projects in their classes. Um, so thank you for talking with us today. Thank you for listening to the Faculty Coffee Break podcast, hosted by the Center for Advancement of Faculty Excellence at St. Francis College. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll share it with a friend or colleague and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to know more about today's episode, please visit our webpage for show notes and transcripts. And join us again soon for more conversations about innovative pedagogy, curriculum design and assessment, and faculty development. The primary purpose of the Faculty Coffee Break podcast is to educate and share ideas for teaching and learning, curricular and co-curricular design, and faculty development. The podcast does not constitute advice or services, and the views expressed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect those of St. Francis College. Music